Good day, friends. Thank you for joining us again in Bible study. Let me say once more how grateful I am for your commitment to an in-depth Bible study. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, and we are beginning today in the first verse of chapter 2. And my intent is to uh, look at all of chapter 2 Today It's not a very long chapter. It only has 16 verses in it. So let's begin. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is writing to his uh, church that he planted in Corinth, and he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony, or that could be the secret, or that could be the mystery, of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he's pointing the Corinthians back to when he founded the church there on his second missionary journey in the middle of the 50s of the first century. And uh, he is saying that he did not come with uh, great lofty speech or wisdom, but he came proclaiming very clearly and in a powerful way the mystery or the secret, or the testimony of God. So let's first look at that word, secret, mystery, or testimony. The best manuscripts probably show us that the word there is mysterion. It's the word from which we get the, um, the word uh, mystery from in the English. Uh, but you need to understand Paul's use of the word mystery. Uh, you may have your own understanding as to what mystery is. But when Paul uses the word mystery in the New Testament, he means something that was once hidden that is now being revealed. He means something that was hidden in the mind of God that God is now being made known. We know that from places such as his letter to the Ephesians, uh, because we also know that what he's referencing here as a mystery uh, is what we call the gospel, uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So he says, remember, I came to you uh, proclaiming the mystery, the secret, the testimony of God concerning Jesus Christ. Uh, he came without lofty speech and without earthly, natural wisdom. Uh, the word wisdom here is very important. Uh, for the next several verses, well into the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, we will see that he references wisdom. Uh, the word wisdom, Sophia, uh, occurs like 16 times here in chapters 2 and 3 of, uh, of 1 Corinthians. So he's saying that uh, he's not using earthly wisdom or natural wisdom, even though he was trained there in Tarsus and probably in Jerusalem also uh, to be... Uh, a person who could use great Greek rhetoric, oratorical skills, uh, that's not something he relied on for the preaching of the gospel. Verse 2, notice what he did rely on. Verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, obviously, Paul talks about a lot of other things in his letters, and I'm sure he did in his preaching. Obviously, Paul, when he talks about Jesus Christ, he uh, talks about things other than just the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So obviously what Paul is saying here 
is that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the crux or the center uh, of, of the message of Jesus Christ. Not the teachings of Jesus Christ that's central to Paul, but it's the person and work of Jesus Christ, uh, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and then the giving of the Spirit of Jesus uh, to his people. That's, that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what he means when he says, I, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You need to understand here that um, Paul could be talking on two different levels. He's talking about a great, great reverence for God as he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the fear and the trembling that he's referencing. But you also notice, he says in verse 4, that his speech and his message were not with plausible words of wisdom. Uh, we see in other places in Paul's letters that there perhaps were people that didn't think Paul to be a very great speaker. And that may surprise you, but I think that would honor Paul. He will tell you that the impact that he had on people was not because he was learned in rhetoric. He is not because he was a great orator, but because of uh, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his preaching. So uh, while his message was transformative, life-changing, world-changing, he was not that uh, spectacular as a speaker. Uh, He says that one of the reasons is so that your faith, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he's not just persuading people. Uh, to come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, that his preaching is accompanied with demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, he says. I think that great signs and wonders accompanied the preaching of Paul. Great miracles accompanied the preaching of Paul. Um, I I think the, the change in people's lives was also a demonstration of the Spirit and of the Spirit's power. And that's what encourage the people and build up the people in the faith that he, Paul, was proclaiming. So he, he was glad that he wasn't a great orator, uh, that he wasn't the best rhetorical uh, speaker that people had heard in their day. And that was a very common form of entertainment in the first century. But uh, he didn't get in the way of the power of the message the simple power of the message and the demonstrations of the Spirit that came because of that power. Uh, the power of God was made evident, obviously, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the ascension of Jesus Christ and in the gifting of the Holy Spirit to the people of Jesus Christ. So in so many ways, the preaching of Paul and the early Christian community was accompanied with great, great Power. So we're talking about the work of Christ. We're talking about the charismata, the gifts uh, that was given to the people uh, that uh, that testified to the truth of the, the the person and work of Jesus Christ. So here in chapter two, verses one through five, Paul is just simply saying uh, that he proclaims Jesus Christ and Him crucified, or 
the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't learn much at all from the letters of Paul about the teaching of Jesus. It's who Jesus was, the incarnation of God, and what Jesus accomplished concerning salvation that was the core of Paul's message. So now beginning in verse 6 of chapter 2, he, he, he heads headlong into a discussion on wisdom. Sophia, that's the Greek word, wisdom. He's going to talk about God's wisdom, and he's going to contrast God's wisdom uh, with the wisdom of this world. He's going to draw this contrast in several different ways. And he wants to point out to his hearers that uh, all that he did, all that he accomplished was because of his dependence upon the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of this world. So, look back with me at verse 6. Paul continues, Yet among the mature, and uh, some translations even say the perfect, what it means here is those who are spiritually mature in Christ. Now, at the beginning of the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, you will notice that Paul will refer to uh, the Corinthian church as a bunch of infants in Christ. But I'm sure there were some mature people in Christ there in Corinth too. So he's referencing the spiritually mature. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Again, he's drawing a contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this age. He's drawn a contrast between what this world considers wisdom and what God considers to be wisdom. Here he's making his first mention in 1 Corinthians here of the rulers of this age. He's going to do it again here in chapter 2. He is perhaps talking about uh, the political, the religious rulers uh, who were leading in Paul's day. Uh, I think he may be referring to that, but he may also be be referring to the, the, the powers of darkness the powers and principalities that are rulers of this age. Anytime Paul references this age, it's, a, it's almost always negatively. Uh, he actually refers to, in another place, he refers to Satan as the ruler of this age, the ruler of this world. So these rulers he's referencing here who are living out of the wisdom of this world, which he would term ignorance, uh, they they um, are the rulers of this age, not the rulers of the age to come, not the rulers who have the wisdom of God, but these are the rulers of this age, and they are doomed, he says, at the end of verse 6, to pass away. All of the evil systems of this world are doomed to pass away. Verse 7, but we, and I guess the we here is Paul and all of his entourage and maybe even all the other early apostles, he says, but we impart a secret, there's that word again, mysterion, mystery, secret. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Again, mysterion, mystery, in the New Testament sense is something that has been hidden in the mind of God. Paul says here, it's been decreed, it's been decreed uh, from before the ages, but it's been hidden in the mind of God and it's now being made known. 
uh, because of the work, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he's saying we are imparting this secret and this hidden wisdom, which is God's wisdom. It's not obvious to the world. Uh, This is a wisdom that's been hidden before the ages, but God has decreed it uh, before the beginning of the ages. And notice he says in verse 7, this secret, this mysterion, this uh, testimony or gift, this wisdom is for our glory. He's going to say a little bit more about this in the next verse. Uh, but he's raising the issue here, and he will continue to talk about this issue, that part of what we're given in Jesus Christ is our glorification. Part of what we receive through salvation in Christ is we begin a journey from glory to glory to glory. One of the greatest sermons ever preached, I think, was a sermon preached by C.S. Lewis at uh, St. Mary's Church there in Oxford, the beginning of the Second World War. And the title of that sermon, it's a very famous sermon, is The Weight of Glory. And in that sermon, he's talking about the glory that is ours in Christ, uh, what that means what it means to bear that weight, to bear that burden, uh, to, to see others bearing the glory of God. This is part of what we're given in Christ and the gift of the power of the Spirit. Uh, he, he is working to glorify us. There's not only an exalted view of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, there is, in most people's consideration, an exalted view of the people of Jesus Christ uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Look at verse... Eight. Paul says, none of the rulers of this age, uh, and he's already mentioned that, I think these are probably political, religious rulers, but it might also mean the powers and principalities of the dark powers of this world. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. They were blind to this, Paul would say. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So they crucified Jesus uh, because of ignorance. They crucified Jesus because they were um, enamored with the wisdom of this world, and they couldn't receive the wisdom of God. But I want you to know something very significant here in verse 8. It says that they had understood this. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now we know, since crucifixion is referenced here, he's talking about Jesus. And he's referring to Jesus as the Lord of glory. In the Hebrew Bible, we don't come across that phrase. This is a unique phrase in the Bible. Now, what we do come across in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is the glory of the Lord. Now, that's referenced frequently. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory presence of God, that's referenced frequently. And that is always, always a reference to God. So here when Paul just sort of drops into the conversation a title for Jesus as the Lord of glory, that is an attribution of the divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of glory. In Him resides the glory of the Lord. He is the Lord of glory. And again, that goes back to what Paul's already said here. Being the Lord of glory may also mean that He is the Lord who gives glory. 
And we know that part of the ministry of Jesus Christ is he gives glory. He glorifies his people. We are on a journey from glory to glory. And that's hard to understand. That's hard to accept. We look at human beings around us and we can't imagine, which is why verse 9 occurs. Paul says at this point, but as it is written, and anytime Paul says as it is written, he's referencing scripture. Uh, the Jews and the Christians were people of the book. So he, he's using what we would call the book to, um, to um, support his argument. He says, verse 9, but as it is written about this Lord of glory, as it is written, and he, he gives us a quotation, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So he's saying that uh, we really can't imagine, even with um, our perception of eye or ear, our perception of the heart or the mind in Judaism, uh, what it is God has prepared for those who love him. And that's, that's the way the Hebrew Bible would say the people of God, those who love him. He's making a quotation here. He has introduced it by saying, as it is written... Uh, we don't know exactly what he's quoting here because it's not exactly like anything we find in the Old Testament. Uh, but you need to remember something when you, when you think about the Bible of the early Christian community. Uh, one, they didn't have it in a pocket edition to carry around with them. So oftentimes when Paul is quoting uh, Scripture, which he does all the time, he's quoting somewhat from memory. So uh, that's why sometimes it's not exactly word for word what we find in the Hebrew Bible. But also keep in mind when Paul is quoting his Bible, which we call the Old Testament, he's quoting the Septuagint, which is the Greek version uh, of the Old Testament, the Greek version that was made out of the Hebrew version about 250 years before the time of Jesus. So he's, he, he knows the Greek version better than he knows the Hebrew version. And he's also given it to us from memory. Uh, that's why sometimes when he says, as it is written, we most of the time can, can, can um, deduce what he's quoting. There's nothing exactly like this in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's pretty close to something we find in Isaiah 64. And Paul was... Um, fond of quoting the prophet Isaiah. So this could be a passage in Isaiah 64. But notice what he's saying by using this passage. We can't imagine all that God has provi provided, prepared for those who love him. I know there's a popular song out there that says, I can only imagine. And um, it's a good song. But I think we need to understand that when we do the best job of imagining that we can what God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ, that we fall far short what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul is a preacher of the Scripture, and for him that was Old Testament, what we call Old Testament, and he's quoting it here. He continues in verse 10. These things, these things about Jesus, personal work of Jesus, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So at this point, he's beginning to talk about the work of the Spirit in the Spirit's work of revelation, in the Spirit's work of revealing things to us, of the Spirit's work of uh, revealing wisdom to us. He says these things God has revealed, not just for us, but to us through the Spirit. He's going to talk about the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, for the Spirit searches everything 
even the depths of God. So only the Spirit of God knows the deep things of God, is what he's saying here. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him. Again, it's only our spirits that know really what's in our hearts and minds. So he's saying that, and that's true of God. So also no one comprehends, he continues, the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So it is the Spirit of God that knows the thoughts of God. He's saying that here, verse 12. Now we have not received the Spirit of this world. So again, back to the contrast. There's a wisdom of this world, and there's a spirit of this world. He is saying to those of us that are in Christ, we have not received the spirit of this world. Uh, We used to be recipients of the spirit of this world, but when we received Christ, we passed from darkness to life. Um, We passed from darkness to light, from death to life. Uh, So when we found our salvation in Christ, we received a new spirit. We received the spirit of of God. And that's what he said here. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He goes on and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. We need to understand that until you have been born again, until you have been regenerated, until the Spirit takes up residency in you, and you invite the Spirit to fill you, uh, you will not understand the things of the Spirit. Um, You will understand enough to flee to Christ for salvation. You will understand enough through the working of the Spirit in your life to, to reach out to Christ for the gift of salvation and new life. But until you create and live out of that spirit, relationship with that spirit, you will not understand spiritual truths. Uh, As natural people, before we enter this new realm of uh, being, the kingdom of God, we, uh, we are blind to the things of God. We, uh, the things of God are veiled to us, he's going to say in a different place. Uh, we cannot understand the spiritual truths except by the Spirit working in us. So that's why, you know, for someone who, have, who has never received Christ, who doesn't want to receive Christ, they have hardened their heart against Christ. They're not even allowing the Spirit to pull them to Christ. They can't discern what we're speaking about. They can't understand what we're speaking about. You might as well be trying to explain the, the color green to someone that's been blind all their life. It takes the Spirit of God to reveal the things of God to uh, birth that wisdom in the hearts of God's people. So that's why it's, it's essential that we nurture this relationship to the Spirit of God um, and continue uh, to kill the spirit of this world that's residing in us. So he wraps up this section in verse 14 and following. He says, the natural person, that's someone who's outside the Spirit. That's someone that has not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's someone who has not received the new life that's theirs in Jesus Christ. That's, this is the way the human family is separated or divided. The natural person and the supernatural person. The natural person, or to use Paul's language, the spiritual person. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I don't expect the world around me to get on my bandwagon, 
concerning Jesus Christ until they come into a relationship through that regenerating spirit to the person and work of Jesus Christ, they are not going to understand what we're talking about. It will appear, as Paul says here, as pure folly to them. So, you know, I don't expect the world around me to receive the promises or the commandments of Jesus Christ. I do expect the people of Jesus Christ to receive the promises and the commandments. I do expect the people of Jesus Christ to live in such a way that we create curiosity in uh, the natural people around us uh, to where they may be more open to the things of the Spirit. Verse 15, as we wrap up this chapter, verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. Through the power of the Spirit working in us, we are given a great gift of of discernment. The Spirit working in us, and the more we grow in the work of that Spirit, the better able we are to judge or discern uh, life, situations, uh, circumstances. You know, every now and again I hear Christians talk about some understanding they have that Christians ought to never judge. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, Every time I go to green light, I'm passing judgment that you're going to stay stopped at that red light over there. We have to make value judgments throughout all of life. So what the Bible teaches is not that we should never judge. What the Bible teaches is that we judge. We judge with mercy. We should judge others with the same degree of mercy that we would like to receive ourselves. And what Paul is really getting at here, we make sure that we judge not using the spirit of this world, not using the wisdom of this age that is folly, but that we judge using the spirit of God. Notice how he wraps up here. Verse 16, again, he quotes his Bible, which we would call the Old Testament. He quotes, this looks even more we, we pretty much know this is from Isaiah 40. Verse 16 here is a quotation. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Again, he's just pointing out that it takes uh, the Spirit of God to reveal the mind of God to us. And we can't re- receive that revelation without the Spirit of God working in him. But notice these words that end the second chapter. I think these are among some of the most significant words in the New Testament. Uh, This is not the only place Paul says this. And this is not the only place Paul even discusses this. But he ends chapter 3 by saying, We have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Notice he's not saying we should have the mind of Christ. He says we have the mind of Christ. He says that in other places in his letters. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and we receive the gift of His Spirit, we're immersed in that Spirit that, that, that connects us to the body of Christ in this world, that gifts us for ministry. Part of the gift of the Spirit is, at that point, we have the mind of Christ. Now, we have other things dwelling in us, too, is the problem. We've got to learn how to access the mind of Christ. We've got to learn how to appropriate the mind of Christ. We've got to learn how to grow in knowledge of the mind of Christ, which the way we grow in knowledge of the mind of Christ is by immersing immersing ourselves in Scripture, immersing ourselves in the Word of God so that we might know the living Word, Jesus Christ, more perfectly, uh, to be in a prayerful relationship with Christ so that Christ can continue to live through us. 
He says, we have the mind of Christ. We've got to be careful, friends, to not ignore the mind of Christ, to ignore the wisdom of God, to ignore the Spirit of God, and be so enamored with the Spirit and the wisdom of this age that we're not living out of the mind of Christ. You know, my wife and I have been married for 35 years now. And, you know, we've been together long enough that we kind of think each other's thoughts after each other. We can finish each other's sentences. That's the way we live out of the mind of Christ. The more we get to know Christ, uh, we can finish each other's sentences. We'll know what it is that Christ wants out of us. We'll know what it is that Christ wants out of the world. We've got the Gospels. We've got the New Testament. We've got um, Christ sprinkled and scattered throughout the Old Testament, for He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We, we have in Scripture more than we need in order to be able to appropriate the mind of Christ, to know and appropriate the mind of Christ. So, friends, I hope you'll, you'll receive that gift and uh, receive all that Paul's saying here because you've received the Spirit of God. So, friends, thank you for studying with us again. Uh, next week, we will pick back up at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God bless you. Thank you again for your devotion to Christ and your devotion to an in-depth, serious Bible study. Go in peace.